three, two, one. <laughs> what? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for Seriously, a reason. Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't with some of these people. I just, put down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, uh, would you rather? All right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. <clears throat> Hello, namaste, shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits episode three. I'm your host, Ricky Rosen, and essentially this is a podcast about, well, just about everything, ranging from pop culture to philosophy to nutrition to dating and back again. So we got an action-packed episode this week, guys. We're going to be covering a couple of really exciting topics, including why dating in 2019 is more difficult than ever and why it pays to be a satisficer rather than a maximizer in your dating life, how you can achieve your fitness goals without doing any cardio, and with the Super Bowl coming up this weekend, why Tom Brady belongs in the category of all-time great athletes. All that and more on this week's episode of... Nervous Habits. Okay, guys. Keep sending in those emails to nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. That's nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. Amazing news. We are not only on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, but we are on Spotify. And I also created an Instagram account for the podcast. It's nervous. It's at nervoushabitspodcast. So feel free to, you know, follow the uh, account. I'll be posting um, the links to each episode. Uh, I'm also including, you know, memes, <laughs> just like photos with funny captions um, that relate to the content. So check those out on the Instagram page at Nervous Habits Podcast. I, I have been getting some excellent feedback um, from friends and, and acquaintances who tuned into the first few episodes about some of the topics that we covered and, you know, uh, it really means the world to me uh, that you guys are, are listening and interacting and asking questions. Um, really excited about the future of, of the pod. Uh, someone that listened um, mentioned that it might be helpful for me to include citations uh, of books and articles where, you know, you can learn more about this information or, you know, if you want to see where um, where this is coming from, definitely going to make an effort to do that more uh, in the future. As a side note, guys, I'm not a doctor or licensed medical professional, so um, I don't want you to, you know, uh, listen to uh, a tidbit that that I share with you about your diet and follow it to a T. You know, um, advice of a of a doctor, of a medical professional, be damned. Definitely don't do that. Uh, take everything with a grain of salt. I'm going to cite as much as possible. Um, you know, make sure that. That if you are interested in learning more about some a topic that we're covering, you can do that uh, on your own for sure. I did actually receive uh, a really interesting email from uh, someone who listened to the podcast uh, by the name of Brian Varnson from Westbury, New York, and he wrote in um, that I agree with your point on social media eroding individual well-being. This is um, in regards to episode two, guys. He said, I would add that consumerism actually fuels that feeling of a void as well. It creates a demand for goods that the consumer did not know even existed and a market that has big psychological implications, especially in the context of what you were talking about with social media and the social arms race. All around great work. So, I, Brian, that's that's a really interesting point you brought up, and I didn't really talk about the economics 
of um, you know our addiction to um, technology and, and social comparison um, and materialism, but that definitely plays into it. Uh, essentially, you know these these romantic myths and consumerist ideas are propagated by big corporations that want you to spend your money on their products and services. Like, take the idea of Wanderlust, for example. If, if you guys haven't heard of it, it's the, the phenomenon that people want to travel abroad to Europe and Asia and, you know, litter their Snapchats and Instagrams with photos of their travels. Um, and this is a myth that was, uh, you know, shot into the the mainstream hive mind by consumerism. The idea is that in order to live our best lives as human beings, we need to open ourselves up to a wide array of experiences, expose ourselves to new food, new music, new cultures, and only that way can we learn to appreciate our own life. And this is in essence the fuel that feeds the tourism industry, which is tens of billions of dollars every year and keeps people going to Paris and Ibiza and New York City and Milan and Mykonos year after year after year. And one of my favorite books, um, it's called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, and I'll include it in the details section of the podcast. It, it really talks about this idea of consumerism um, being responsible for our culture of comparison. Um, and the, the author Harari writes at one point, he says, Romanticism has given birth to the infinite market of experiences on which the modern tourism industry is founded. The tourism industry does not sell flight tickets and hotel bedrooms. It sells experiences. Paris is not a city, nor India a country. They are both experiences, the consumption of which is supposed to widen our horizons, fulfill our human potential, and make us happier. He writes, We hear time and time again the romantic myths about how a new experience opened my eyes and changed my life. So to Brian Varnson's point, consumerism is definitely a, a huge factor in the um, the conventional life advice uh, and the expectations that we have for how our life should be lived based on other people's, you know, social media, um, and that you know goes goes back into the what we talked about before the fixation on the lack of you know what we have um, and the framework, uh, you know, using that framework will never be happy. So I appreciate you mentioning that, Brian. Um, the the fact that. The economics of consumerism play a huge role, and guys, you know, great example right there. That that interaction is, you know, I, I want I want you guys to help me supplement this pod um, wherever possible. You know, sh shoot an idea over to me, and and I'll do some research or or you know look into the literature and and uh, try to uh, you know build on the the arguments and build on the discussion that we've had. Um, so awesome job there. So let's get into it. Uh, dating. So if you don't know, guys, I'm based out of uh, New York City. And dating in New York is really unlike anywhere else in the world. I mean, dating in a big city is different than dating in, in the suburbs or, or, you know, the the rural the rural area. Not that I have much experience um, in that scene, just insofar as the options are concerned. I mean, in New York, every, you know, on every street corner, there's there's a Dwayne Reed, there's a Starbucks, and there's 6,000 single men and women looking looking to find love. Um, 
But it's it's actually, you know, counterintuitively, it's very difficult to date in a large city. And it really comes down to analysis paralysis. And this isn't a new idea for you guys. If, if either you're single or you have single friends or you've seen the portrayal of single life in the popular culture, especially, especially, guys, with the onset of dating apps. You know, these days with a dating app, you can log into Tinder um, or, I, I don't know, uh, Bumble or any of those apps. You can swipe right on literally tens of thousands of men or women you know, whether you're sitting on the toilet or you're at work or you're on the subway, you could just swipe right on all these different profiles. Um, and this is especially true for women since, you know, men tend to be far less discerning on who they swipe right on. You know, I wonder why, right? Um, <clears throat> so if you're a single woman on one of these dating apps, you know, you could swipe right for a few minutes and have 400 matches. And, you know, while it sounds like that's, you know, that that's 400 potential options, right? Like, uh, that should be a good thing because there's so much choice. That, you know, it, it actually becomes uh, detrimental. I mean, think about it in terms of a Google search, right? If you want to learn about a concept, um, I don't know, if you want to learn about uh, the Los Angeles Lakers and you search it into Google and, you know, 150 million results come back about the Lakers – that's kind of overwhelming. Most people just click the first one or the second one, which is why search engine opt optimization is so important. You know, get to the top of the list. But they don't have search engine opt optimization for, for Tinder. You know, they don't have the, the top choices. You know, the first or the second is um, is the best one. You know, they have algorithms where now it's, you know, they have like uh, recommended matches or, or compatible matches. But for the most part, you're sitting there having to sift through four or five, 600 matches if you're a single woman. And the impact of this, in addition to just being, you know, overwhelmed by the number of options, the impact is you become, you know, it really minimizes your investment in another human being. What I mean by that is, let's say you're a single woman and you go on the date with a guy one night that you met on a dating app. And let's say this guy is attractive, has good hygiene, dresses well, has a good job. He checks all the boxes. But let's say he has like an annoying laugh. You know, years ago you could look past this because he's a great fit for you otherwise and you can't wait to run home and tell your parents all about him. But with the number of options out there today, guys, when you have 400 other people, you know, waiting on your, your Tinder profile, you're just looking for a reason to move on to the next guy. Right? People are looking for perfection even when it doesn't exist. You know, let's look at the male perspective. If you're on a date with a girl and you guys have electric chemistry, but she hates sports, I mean, that, that could actually be a deal breaker for you since maybe there's another girl out there who you vibe equally well with that likes sports. Maybe, maybe not. There's, there's uncertainty. And the charm of dating apps, the allure, is in that not knowing. You know, maybe there's someone out there for you. Maybe there's someone better. And this mode of decision-making in psychology is called maximizing versus satisficing. Okay? Uh, maximizing versus satisficing. And these are terms that um, are really not, not, not so much discussed in the popular uh, literature all that much. Um, they were coined by a guy named uh, Jonah Lair, to my knowledge. 
um, in in his book How We Decide, uh, and and I am gonna I'm gonna fact check that um, and just make sure in the details section that I include all the information there. But being a maximizer means you're gonna examine every possible option before making a decision. While a satisfier has some basic criteria that needs to be met, and if someone fits that, they choose they choose it without worrying about the other options out there. So let's hypothetically say you're sitting on your couch and you watch something on TV. And let's pretend, you know, this is before the age of Netflix and Hulu and, you know, people <laughs> when people actually needed cable to watch TV. A satisfier will flip through the channels and once he finds something decently entertaining, let's say he has good taste <laughs> and he uh, stumbles on a Seinfeld rerun. Um, let's say it's the episode where... Uh, with, you know, the contest, one of the, one of the most famous episodes. And he's thinking, oh, this is great. I love this episode. I'll just watch this. That's a satisficer, guys. A maximizer, on the other hand, will need to check literally every other channel to make absolutely certain that there's nothing else on that would be more entertaining than Seinfeld. So everything is is being compared to that baseline. The irony, though, is being is we, with being a maximizer, guys, you end up spending that entire hour block of time scrolling through every channel on your cable box unsatisfied when you would have just been happy watching Seinfeld. So when it comes to dating, you know, most people think being a maximizer means being picky, right? Like, like we all have friends like that. Oh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just picky. You know, I just have high standards. And people think being a satisficer means settling. Oh, you know, she just she just settled. I, you know, I'm I'm picky. I'll, I'll I'm just waiting for the right person. I don't believe that's true. You know, I think when it comes to relationships, there are any number of people who you might be compatible with. The world is a huge place. We talked about wanderlust earlier. You know, you can go to there's 196 countries. You can go to any country, um, and you know, any <laughs> industrialized modern country, and and potentially find someone that that you vibe pretty well with. Um, I don't really believe in soulmates. In Greek mythology, the story goes that Zeus split all human hearts in half uh, as punishment for humanity's pride, and he separated them, right, on like the other side of the world. And humans were tasked with spending their whole lives longing for their little, literal other half, right? That's that's a Greek myth. I, I don't really believe that, to be honest with you. I think that there's so many people out there that you could end up being compatible with. Not to mention a lot of people subscribe to the belief that any relationship can work as long as you put in time and work, right? Like what's that quote? Um, it's it's not being with the one you love. It's loving the one you're with. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. That might be a, a, a topic for another podcast. But the point is um, there, there are a lot of people out there that, um, that you could be you know, compatible with. Uh, and for that reason, you know, you can't put yourself in a situation where you're hunting for your perfect match forever. Because then you might realize one day that you just wasted an hour scrolling through your television channel when watching Seinfeld for half hour would have been just fine. It would have been great exactly. You would have laughed. You would have been happy and so that's why you, you should strive to be a satisficer in your relationships. You you shouldn't settle. I'm not I am not saying you should settle because you're terrified of dying alone. You know, you, you shouldn't uh, you know buy buy the first tomato <laughs> in the produce section uh, just because you gotta grab a tomato because because Ricky from Nervous Habits said 
to, you know, be a satisfied so that tomato is good enough. If you want to sit there looking at every tomato, trying to find the reddest one or, uh, or avocado, you know, find the one that's the soft, that's, that is fine. Um, but if you do meet someone who meets your criteria, whatever that may be, you know, loves her family, is financially stable, decently attractive, whatever, you should give him or her a fair chance before immediately pivoting to what else is out there. Now, now here's the thing. What, another note on, on dating here. Uh, I alluded to dating apps, and I know that, you know, pe- people have mixed feelings about dating apps in 2019. I personally don't subscribe to meeting women on dating apps um, or meeting men on dating apps. Yes, I've done it before, but it's definitely not my first choice. Um, you know, I, I understand the appeal of dating apps. We, we're in 2019, and everyone is too busy to go out all the time or, you know, join a uh, singles club or, or what, I, I guess they don't really have those anymore. Uh, what is it called? Speed dating, if they do that. Um, never done that. That, that could be kind of fun where you go like table to table, uh, <laughs> having like 90 second conversations. So, so not everyone has time for that. So I, I see why dating apps are appealing, but it feels like a very transactional exercise, which is why more often than not, it doesn't work out. Because I I feel like that because there's not much investment, right? If you, you know, if people are more likely to flake when when there's not a, when when's not a lot at stake, right? If you promise a friend that you'll go go with him or her to a concert on Saturday, but you haven't bought your ticket, and then you're not feeling great Saturday morning, maybe you're hungover, you'll be like, you know what? I didn't I didn't buy this ticket. Eh. I think I'll just think I'll just skip it, whatever. But if you bought that ticket, guys, if you already mentally prepared yourself to go to that concert, even if it's raining and you're sick and hungover, you'll drag your ass to that concert because you invested in it. In psychology, the, the concept is the sunk cost fallacy. If you already invested in something, you are more likely to follow through with it in order to justify your previous investment. And with dating apps... You know, you meet someone on app, you talk, exchange a couple messages. There's not a lot of investment, right? Let's say I meet a girl on a dating app and we exchange a couple messages back and forth. And, you know, we make plans to get drinks on the weekend. Um, if, if I'm not feeling up to it, as I said, with the concert example, I could just bow out. No harm, no foul. After all, you know, it's just, just Tinder. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know this person, right? People, people probably flake all the time. Right? Not to mention the fact that I haven't met her, so she's just a, an abstract hologram, you know, floating behind on the other side of a computer screen. There's no, you know, interpersonal connection. There's no face-to-face. There's no voice. Um, it's not real. Contrast that with, you know, say we met in, I don't know, a bookstore. Spoke for a couple minutes. Then you gave me your number and, you know, uh, we made plans to get drinks over the weekend. I wouldn't feel so great about flaking on you now. You know, like, first of all, I'm excited to see you because we met face-to-face. You know, I know what you look like. I know what you sound like. Also, I probably feel guilty because I have some, like, uh, visual imagery on the person that's on the other end of the conversation. It's, It's not abstract anymore, guys. It's concrete. So that's, to me, that's the my first major issue with dating apps is the transactional nature of it. Um... And because there's no investment, you, sent, you tend to see a lot of people flaking.
you know by the way flake dating apps have introduced a lot of words into the uh the colloquial language of dating now like flaking like when i was a kid i I don't even think flake was a thing you know oh this person flaked right we didn't say that or um ghosting ghosting is huge now if you you know hang out with someone or date you know go on a date with them you sleep with them whatever and then you disappear you're ghosting that that's another thing that's and the the other problem with dating apps is a problem of um, of kind of uh, a lack of sincerity that nobody is who they say they are. And this this is you know goes without saying, but everyone on on the dating apps is trying to curate their best image, right? Their their best photos, their their wittiest um, uh, you know lines in their bio, and very rarely does a person end up meeting your expectation of what what you expect them to look like what you expect them to act like what their personality right ends up being the the catfish is a real thing and that's another word by the way along with flake and ghost catfish is another another word that um has uh you know joined uh the the lore of popular culture with dating and for my older listeners i think my parents might listen to the podcast um you know friends and family who are a little older Catfishing is when two people meet online and one person ends up being dramatically different from how they presented themselves. So maybe they used old pictures, right? Like from five years ago. Uh, maybe they, they put on a little weight since then. Um, you know, maybe uh, they came off as very outgoing in their profile or their personality, but they're they're more shy. Maybe they, they lied about their hobbies. Guys lie about their height all the time. Um, things like that. And then they show up for the date and there's just a huge clash between expectations and reality and that my friends is a catfish uh i think mtv even had a reality show about that no uh though i never checked it out whereas if you meet someone in person you already know what they look like right you can't catfish someone if if you've met them before anyway uh i'm gonna talk in a future episode about how exactly you you can meet people in public i think it's it's very much a lost art um, for men approaching women, for women, you know, starting conversations with men, uh, it can be very difficult to make the approach, and even tougher t- to get, re- you know, get rejected. Uh, I, personally, you know, in my life, and, and I always tell this to my friends, I, I, you know, I like to to push myself to lean into the d- discomfort, to do things that make me uncomfortable, make me scared, um, even if it means getting rejected or or you know, getting my feelings hurt, just because then. You know, you you grow from it, you learn from it, um, and you don't ha- you don't have to regret never having acted. You know, uh, another reference I'm going to make is uh, Jeff Bezos. You've probably heard of him. He's the um, CEO of uh, of Amazon, richest guy alive, and uh, he his guiding philosophy in life is the regret minimization framework, which is the idea that you have to live your life as someone who's at the end of his life, looking back, wondering, you know. With every decision, what outcome or what decision can I make that will lead me to the fewest regrets in the future? The regret minimization framework. So that's why I absolutely agree, you know, that you should put yourself out there in public. We'll discuss that in a future episode. There'll be lots, lots more dating content. Um, but the takeaway here is the uh, analysis paralysis, 
uh, is a real thing with the amount of options out there. Strive to be a satisficer instead of a maximizer um, in dating, and just be be mindful of the lack of investment on dating apps. If you have specific uh, questions or comments on that, uh, email me at nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com or at nervoushabitspodcast on Instagram. Want to get to the fitness segment, which which I'm really excited about this week. Uh, I posed the question, do you really need to do cardio at the gym to lose weight? I have a love-hate relationship with cardio. Um, I did track uh, in high school, so I've always loved to run. Plus, I'm super competitive. I'm that guy who you know, is looking at the treadmill next to mine at the gym, cranking it up to kick the next person's ass, um, looking like a crazy person with my head down sprint at the gym. But on the other hand, I get that it's boring running in place for an hour. I, I get it, right? Um, running on the street, running outside is much better, but you know, it's the winter. It's, you know, we got a polar vortex outside. That's not an option. So you have no choice but to run on a treadmill. Some people just can't do it. So the question is, do you need to do cardio at the gym to stay fit, to lose weight, to lower your body fat? The answer is no, you do not. The most important factor for losing weight, uh, as you guys have probably heard before, is being at a calorie deficit. So more calories are being burned than being consumed. So most of it doesn't even happen at the gym. I asked my doctor one time what the, the breakdown was between um, the you know what you eat, your diet, and the gym in terms of uh, fitness and being slim. And you know most people think it's like 70, 70 diet, 30 gym. It's actually more than that. It's about 90% diet, 10% gym, according to my uh, primary care physician. Cardio is helpful to burn a lot of calories for sure. And by the way, when I say cardio, I don't just mean running on the treadmill. Cardio can mean, you know, going on the elliptical, uh, climbing stairs, jumping rope, cycling, swimming, rowing. Um, All that constitutes cardio. But what's even more effective than cardio for losing weight and adding muscle mass is what's called high-intensity interval training, or I'll I'll call it HIT. It's like HIT with two two Ts. High-intensity interval training. And this, this is usually uh, like sprinting followed by either walking or jogging and more sprinting. So you do get a break in between. This could also be like a superset of lifting, um, doing sled drags or power cleans. And for purposes of the podcast, I'm, I'm probably not going to d- dive too deep into some of these things. So feel free to, to you know look up the, the the terms on like a fitness website or message board because um, I want to keep it simple in general for now. Let's focus on running first. Okay. Let's say you have two options. You can either jog consistently for 30 minutes at say a 10 minute mile pace, or you can sprint for a few minutes at a time, then stop and walk, then sprint again. Which would burn more fat? Conventional wisdom says, right, jogging nonstop because you're, you know, you're not giving yourself a break. It's, it's more difficult. But the answer is actually the sprinting option. And here's why. And here's where we get into the little bit of the, uh, the science. Jogging is, a, is an aerobic form of exercise. So that basically means you'll be consistently breathing in oxygen for energy as you're running at a steady pace. Excuse me. Jogging is going to increase what's called your VO2 max. That's the maximum amount of oxygen that your body can use at any given time. But number one, there's a ceiling to how many calories and how much fat you can burn during jogging. And number two, jogging doesn't just burn fat. It also builds, uh, excuse me, it also burns muscle. So 
it depends on your fitness goals. But uh, definitely important to note, again, jogging being aerobic, okay? Whereas let's contrast that with sprinting, which is anaerobic. So if you remember from biology class, in anaerobic respiration, glucose breaks down without oxygen, producing lactic acid rather than CO2 and water. So because it's not aerobic, guys, you're not training with a continuous amount of oxygen flowing, so it's more physically demanding. What does that mean? So your body is going to need to rely on its fat stores in order to power the high-intensity workout. So you're burning fat more in an anaerobic sprint than an aerobic jog. So for that reason, guys, when you're sprinting for two-minute intervals and stopping and sprinting again for two minutes and stopping, that's going to burn more fat than running for 30 minutes straight. And you can save time too. You know, it's what I find funny is I see people on the treadmill at the gym who have been jogging for 45 minutes at a 10-minute mile pace. You know, and, and I'll peek over, see how many calories they've burned, maybe a couple hundred, what have you, four or five hundred. Well, I've burned the same number of calories sprinting for 20 minutes on and off at a six-minute mile pace. So not only am I burning more fat, um, you know, uh, more calories are exhausted, but I'm saving time too. You know, it, it does depend on your fitness goals. I I am looking to maintain muscle mass, whereas maybe if, if you don't care about um, losing muscle definition, you might also be inclined to jog. Uh, that's an important distinguishing factor. Uh, but besides cardio and HIT, there are other ways, uh, other forms of training to burn fat. You guys might have heard of like uh, resistance training, which is working with those elastic bands to uh, st strengthen your muscles. Uh, there's weight training, which you know it's it's like lifting, as as the gym bros call it. Um, it's it's so funny that people just call it lifting. You know, lifting is all inclusive of, uh, you know, anything with with weight weight training for biceps, triceps, chest, back. It's it's just lifting. Uh, it's general general terminology. Um, and you know, by doing resistance training, lifting, you're not only uh, building muscle. But you're burning fat. That's that's what people don't understand. You know, people think, oh, like why why would I want to lift? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be out here um, looking like the rock. But even if you're just trying to burn fat, you should still consider doing weight training because of the uh, you know the sheer effort that it requires. The, the calories that you're burning um, are on that level with um, jogging or sprinting. Like all those are going to burn just as much calories as jogging. And let's face it. It's, it's more fun. You know, you're pushing yourself, um, putting up those reps on the bench. Whereas, I don't know about you guys, jogging on the treadmill for 30 minutes, my mind doesn't even, I don't even know what to think about. You know, I mean, you're listening to music, it's the same 20, 30, 40 songs. Maybe you're listening to my podcast while jogging and it's not so bad. When I was at uh, Planet Fitness, when I first moved to the city, um, I would watch Sean Hannity on Fox News at the gym. And literally, I'd be like running and, and yelling, like looking like a, a psycho, uh, just just like arguing with Hannity, who was who would constantly interrupt his guests on the show. Um, so that would really like motivate me uh, at the gym. Uh, I did. Side note: Don't judge me. I did. Um, you know, was a member of Planet Fitness uh, for my first like six months in the city. Uh, it's called amongst my friends Planet Fatness because they have a, an endless supply of Tootsie Rolls at their front desk and. Free pizza on the first Monday of every month, and big free bagels on the first Tuesday or something. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not with them anymore. But uh, 
Anyway, I remember reading uh, Chris Evans, um, Captain America. He So he was able to get so jacked for Captain America uh, by, you know, really by doing weight training and, and circuits, as, as I've described. He, he has said he didn't do any cardio to get that, you know, chiseled body and six-pack and ripped arms. And whenever any of these actors get like ripped for the part, like Michael B. Jordan in Creed Two or Jake Gyllenhaal. And, excuse me, I believe the the uh, the fight. What was it? The um, that boxing movie. Uh, any really any of these roles, you want to hear about their workouts and a lot of these guys, as I said, weight training, resistance training, circuits, and high intensity interval training. And there is a way to monitor this because you guys might might be wondering, like, how do I know if I'm doing you know one thing or the other? Well, you can check your heart rate. Uh, I don't have like a Fitbit. Um, I, I would love a Fitbit. So, if, you know, if I have any, <laughs> I have any, uh, anyone who has any connections to, to the company or like an, an Apple Watch, one of those things. If you have that, you can check your heart rate. And that's really important because you can see how hard you're pushing yourself and whether you're in aerobic or anaerobic respiration. So the formula is uh, your maximum heart rate the, the fastest your heart can possibly beat is 220 minus your age. That's a universally accepted formula. Didn't just make it up. You can ask your doctor. 220 minus your age. So I'm 26. My maximum heart rate is 194. Should I be at 194 You know, during the whole workout? No. Should I be at 194 during any of the workout? No. That is very dangerous. You're going to induce uh, you know, cardiac arrest. Don't do that. But you can look at what percentage you are close to your maximum heart rate. So if you're at 70 to 80% of your maximum heart rate, you're considered to be an aerobic respiration. So that would be, for me, between 136 and 155 beats per minute. If you're at 80 to 90%, you're in anaerobic respiration, which would be 155 to 175 beats per minute. And Again, you know, you're on the treadmill running. You can check. They have the the monitor on. You put your finger on the thing, and you know, you, you can see how fast your heart's beating. You don't want to kill yourself and spend too much time in that eighty to ninety percent range. But with hit, with the high intensity interval training, you can really take advantage of that to you know sprint at the eighty to ninety percent range. Being for me again, one fifty five to one seventy five. Then jog for a few minutes or walk, all right? Drink some water, um, relax. And then again, push it again to a different song, um, 155, 175. Uh, and, and that's how you know that you're doing that high-intensity interval training as opposed to just jogging, right, at like 60, 70%, 130. That's not going to burn as much fat. Um, and, you know, one last note on fitness. Definitely take advantage of classes, uh, I was scared to try them. It's intimidating, uh, especially if you don't have like a, a workout buddy to, to go in there on your own. But I did do a boxing class recently, and it I'm not gonna lie, it kicked my ass. Uh, for 60 minutes, it was just no breaks. Uh, there were like stations where every minute you had to go to the next station uh, when when the instructor called time, and each station was like one was push-ups, one was burpees which is like a push-up and a jump. Um, one was like shadow boxing. One was actually hitting the boxing bag. One of them was crunches and sit-ups. And there was no break whatsoever. So that, that would be an example of an excellent cardio workout. You could you know, also do like a cycling class. I did that once. Much, much, much harder than it sounds. Um, 
have not done yoga since college, but uh, give those girls credit, uh, girls and, you know, maybe guys, uh, definitely extremely difficult. And Zumba is another one that could be fun or uh, what's that, CrossFit? There's this is another like millennial, like New York City thing. Everyone does this like CrossFit or SoulCycle. Uh, anyway, keep an open mind. Give it a shot. Uh, and remember, guys, you don't need to do cardio to lose weight. Uh, and instead of that, the you know jogging for thirty minutes, consider the high inter- high intensity interval training, the hit for uh, sprint and intervals instead. Okay. So want to you know wrap things up with uh, some some football here. The Super Bowl is on Sunday. Uh, I am not the biggest football fan. I'll be honest. Um, my sports rankings are my top ten. It's like baseball is one through ten, <laughs> um, and then maybe like an, like a life size gap, uh, and then basketball, football, and everything else. Uh, I I am getting more into tennis. My roommate took the time to explain it to me. It's, you know, pretty, pretty relaxing. Uh, but that being said, I do watch the football playoffs, specifically the AFC and NFC championship games and the Super Bowl. Lately, it's been only the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I know people are sick and tired of them. Since 2000, there have been nine Super Bowls uh, for Tom Brady and uh, Bill Belichick. That's not easy to do in a sport with 29 other teams, you guys. And Tom Brady's 41 years old, which in life is, you know, young, right? He's got he's got another 40, 50 years or what have you. But that's that's old in, in football years and athlete years. And he's competing against young dudes. You know, Jared Goff, the QB of the Rams this year, is 24. When, you know, Brady was, was getting ready to go to college, Jared Goff was just being born. Last year with uh, the Eagles, Nick Foles, 30 years old, you know, 29 years old at the time. Give the guy credit for enduring. Um, I saw this documentary series on Facebook. It was called uh, Tom vs. Time, I think, last year. And I don't even like football that much, but I was sucked in. You know, watching Brady with his family. Uh, we all we all know that he you know, kissed his son on the mouth. That was a little weird. But some, like, odd superstitions. He, like, instead of eating his bananas normally, he uh, rips off the ends. And it's, I don't know, but... Like, the guy is so disgusted with losing. He literally watched his film religiously. Even like when he won the Super Bowl a few years ago, he said he celebrated for one day and then the next day was just back to work. You know, can you imagine that? Like think about think about Floyd Mayweather. When he finishes a fight, he I, I think I, I read somewhere he had like $50,000 of cash in a suitcase and he just went went around like Las Vegas visiting every club and you know, strip joint uh, and she went on like a week-long bender He's probably still partying. If Floyd, if you're listening to this, man, get some rest. Get some rest. Get some water. But Tom Brady celebrates for a day, and then it's back to the grind. You know, what, regardless of what happens in the game against the Rams, you have to respect greatness. As a sports fan, I'm a little sick of seeing the Patriots in there. You know, I, I do like parity. Uh, I do like when every team, you know, has, has a fair chance, and it's nice to spice things up. But you don't really see parity in sports right now. You know, in the NBA, the last four years in the finals have been the Cavaliers and the Warriors. I'm, I'm, I don't be, I'm sick of seeing the same two, two teams playing in the finals. In baseball, you know, I was annoyed when the Giants won three World Series in five years in 2010, 2012, and 2014. And then, of course, the Red Sox and Cardinals were always in it. But there is more parity in baseball because you have... 
the Astros winning in 2017, they were a last place small market team. The Royals in 2015 against the uh, the Mets choked. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> um, but we do have to ask the question with regard to Brady and the Patriots. Regardless of what happens on on Sunday, is Brady among the the best athletes of all time now? And when you think about all time great athletes, these are the guys who, even if you don't really follow sports, you know them. You know you know their history. You know their legacy. In my opinion, there's a pantheon of about 10 guys. Uh, I'm just going to go through them pretty quickly. In the NBA, you got Michael Jordan, obviously. And LeBron James has to be there at this point, having won three championships and you know been in nine finals, plus the four MVPs, etc. In baseball, you got Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Cy Young, Ted Williams, Hank Aaron. You know, three of those guys have to be in there. You can make a case for all of them. Uh, leaving aside Bonds and Clemens, we talked about that last week. Uh, listen to episode two if you want to hear about um, the Bonds and Clemens debate. So basketball, Jordan and James, MLB, Ruth, Mays, Young, Aaron, Williams, pick pick a couple of those. In hockey, probably Wayne Gretzky. You know, maybe you put Muhammad Ali in there for boxing. In the NFL, uh, you'd probably say Bo Jackson just because he – Played both baseball and football is in the Hall of Fame for, for both. And then the only guy who comes close to Brady, you know, looks like Joe Montana. Um, Joe Montana, if you know, if, if you look in his at his history, he's a four-time Super Bowl champion, three-time Super Bowl MVP, was in nine Pro Bowls. Um, and let's see here. He he threw thirty four hundred completions and fifty four hundred attempts, two hundred seventy plus touchdowns. Uh, 41,000 yards passing. You know, Montana's numbers in his time were were unmatched. But if you, you know, juxtapose them with Brady's, Brady, Brady might even have a more impressive record. Tom Brady, at the age of 41, is a five-time Super Bowl champion, four-time Super Bowl MVP, 14 Pro Bowl appearances, three NFL MVPs. He's the only quarterback ever to reach 200 regular season wins. I mean... Every every time you know the the guy defies expectations. I mean, he he could retire after this year. He could choose to keep playing, but uh, it's it's really unbelievable. Now, the controversy with Brady, uh, I'm not going to get into the politics because I I don't think a player's um, you know uh, legacy in in terms of their sports career should be predicated on how they vote at the ballot. Uh, the controversy with Brady is really about the Deflategate scandal that everybody knows about, where the Patriots team allegedly deflated footballs to make them easier for throwing. Uh, there was a huge investigation. Brady was suspended for four games. 2016, he ended up uh, winning the Super Bowl and being named the MVP, shutting all his, uh, his haters up with the regulation inflated balls. Um, so that's, you know, people will get on Brady for being a cheater. People will say that. Um, and to be honest, I don't know enough about what happened in those circumstances to pass judgment one way or the other. No one does. Uh, at the end of the day, all we can do is look at Brady's record, look at the numbers he's put up, and look at the guy's history of winning. You know, I mean, he he's done things that no other quarterback had. I mean, his combined regular season and postseason wins are the most of any quarterback in NFL history. You can't take that away from him. Career postseason record of 29 and 10. Uh, one more playoff games than any quarterback. You know, he, no one will ever, uh, I don't know for sure, but he set records no, uh, 
you know, maybe that may never be, be met again. For that, needs to be considered up there with with Jordan. Um, you know, with with LeBron and Babe Ruth and um, T- uh, Bo Jackson, Joe Montana, among the best athletes ever. So, just kind of rounding out the conversation from this week. Uh, super super fruitful here. Uh, definitely pays to focus on on satisfy being a satisficer in those relationships. Uh, you know, not not scrolling through the TV channels, but picking something that meets your baseline um, and running with it. Uh, and on that note of running, if you're going to run, sprint, anaerobic respiration, check that heartbeat. Make sure you're in um, the 80 to 90% range so you're doing that high-intensity interval training. And give Tom Brady his due regardless of what happens on Sunday. Um, but once – listen, once that Super Bowl is over – I'm I'm ready for another franchise um, to be you know in the Super Bowl next year. I want to see something. Uh, I I don't know. Let's let's get the Cowboys in there. Um, America's team. <laughs> we'll get the uh, the Jets. Um, you know the Packers can come back. Whatever. Just no more Patriots. Um, like the Yankees of the NFL. Next week we will be covering uh, some awesome topics. Uh, first foray into movies. Uh, we'll preview the 2019 Oscars. What's my pick for the best movie of the year? And which movie can I not see because the ending was spoiled for me? We'll talk about water, the underrated beverage. Why doesn't anyone like plain old water anymore? And finally, baseball's almost back. But the biggest stars in the game are still free agents. Why? And what teams have had the best and the worst off seasons so far? This has been uh, a lot of fun, uh, episode three here of Nervous Podcast. Make sure to, to keep sending in those emails, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we are on Instagram at nervoushabitspodcast. Uh, be sure to, to follow that page, like the posts, and stay tuned for future episodes. Uh, really appreciate uh, folks that, that sent in emails and shared the feedback. Keep doing that. I uh, want to hear from you as much as possible. This is Ricky Rosen of Nervous Habits. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your day.